This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to this week's guest interview on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Hugh Walker from Practice Ignition. Hugh, good day to you. Good day, Rob. How's it going? We're doing great. Hugh, you're not from this part of the world. Where's home for you originally? I, I guess I gave it away with the very start of my, you know, Welcome to the pod. Yeah, so I'm I, I'm actually English born, born near Reading, but grew up most of my life over in Sydney. You know where PI, I guess, was founded. I moved back over here. The the advantage of a global work, global roles that I can kind of do it from anywhere. So I moved over here November 2019 because I have just you know impeccable timing. Got here, had a beautiful grey English winter, and then along came this little cheeky virus, and spent about two years working out of my flat. And Hugh, for the benefit of people that haven't come across you, just tell us a bit about your background and your areas of expertise. Yeah, beautiful. So I actually started in this space coming up on eight years ago now, I think. I actually got my start at Receipt Bank, so Dex now, over in Sydney, and worked my way through. I think I had five different roles there in about three and a half, four years before jumping across to, to PI to sort of take over the, the customer success, I suppose, channel for us and sort of heading that up globally. So and I suppose really, yeah, the focus for me is, is customer success. And I think a lot of that is change management, but underlying everything, I, I'm a, tr- a genuine, like true believer in the, like, e- the ethos, if you will, that if we can make our customers more successful, if we can make the businesses, the small businesses that we're working with more successful as businesses, that's really my goal. Like I'm, I'm here to help our customers be more successful. I'm pretty bullish that PI is a, a big part of that, but that's kind of the core of, of what I do and why I do it. People talk about customer success a lot, customer experience, client experience. These are very much buzzwords. They fit a lot into values and websites and vision statements, but it's fair to say a lot of fintechs and vendors and even accounting firms, they play at it. So just take that as a concept. What do you see companies getting wrong with customer experience and customer success? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of customer success can just be a buzzword. I'm going to sound possibly like a Silicon Valley reject here. It does seem like it's a term that came out of Silicon Valley where they just kind of took the account manager role of, you know, like upsell to existing customers, grow use of existing customers, and then slapping on an, an element of what we would call internal, like uh, in tech, an NPS. So like a customer satisfaction. A net promoter score for those that don't know NPS, yeah. Exactly. So it's essentially so the sort of the buzzword side of it is very much just how do we upsell? How do we grow our customers, get more money out of them and also keep them happy? And that's, I think, why there can be that degree of like, it always seems like kind of a buzzword fad sort of thing. But there's definitely a sort of, I suppose, a subset of it where that belief, and I think this is much more of a, a startup tech side, whether the, the genuine belief is more if we make our customers successful, then inherently as successful businesses, they will grow. And inherently as successful businesses that are getting success as a result of our platform, they'll continue using the platform. And that's much more, I think, sustainable, much more organic and a much better experience for honestly both sides because the customer is obviously happy and successful. And it's much more enjoyable to work with customers and actually grow them and help them succeed and seeing and sharing those wins with them. That makes good sense. And for people that are new to the customer journey, do you see it as customer service, then customer Customer experience, then customer success. Is it a continuum or a line or a some kind of circle? How do you view it as a model? I think there's definitely phases of customer journey, right? Obviously, the customer journey has to start with them becoming a customer. But then really, customer success, I think, is more of a, a mindset. Like customer success done right 
I think is more of a mindset or an ethos around from the very start of that journey, the goal should be make empower the customer, make them successful. And that just bleeds into all the different kinds of phases, into the onboarding, into the continual, like working with them in the first three weeks, three months, one year, and then onwards. And they are, they're obviously different phases where you might have different kinds of goals, different outcomes you're looking to help the customer achieve and work with them on. But underlying that all should be, is this in the best interest of the customer and how do I make them more successful? And I, I'm hesitant there because I think it's an easy trap to fall in to say, how do I make the customer happy? But a happy customer isn't necessarily going to be a successful one because it's all, like the easiest, the line of least resistance, the line of happiness is often just to continue doing things as you are because change can be scary and change can be hard. But I think to be successful, you've kind of got to make those jumps now and then. Yeah, that's a very good distinction. And you're presumably crunching a lot of data there at Practice Ignition. You know what the metrics are for customer success. You know all the touch points. What can you tell us about the, the data you're looking at? I have currently in my browser nine different tabs with Google Sheets open in with all the different sort of data stuff I'm working on. I'm you're just geeking out on that, Hugh, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I am probably the biggest spreadsheet nerd in PI, which is maybe saying something. But yeah, like there's so many different facets of it, right? You can, especially a lot of it comes down to so usage. So you're either using the different elements of your product, a lot of it comes down to not just sort of are they, but how well are they doing it? How regularly are they doing it? A lot of different touch points. And I think it's one of those things where you never have a complete picture. You're just always iterating and improving. And it's something I've spoken about in the past in recordings and conversation calls around sort of processes of developing a, a better process. And it's always just kind of start broad. We're going to help them do, here's the one main goal. And then once you've kind of nailed that, break it down and just keep breaking it down into smaller and smaller pieces, which just makes it more sophisticated and brings in more elements which allows you to take in the edge cases and achieve that more overarching success piece. That makes sense. Let's just pan out for a moment and talk about COVID. It's obviously had an impact all over the world in the accounting profession and in the, the fintechs and software vendors that serve them. So what do you feel have been some of the major effects of COVID? Everybody now is probably pretty good with Zoom. I think there's there's always, like, as long as I've been in the space, so eight years, way longer than that, been this kind of conversation around the move to tech and the adoption of tech. And I mean, COVID has inherently accelerated that. This is the digitization movement, isn't it? Exactly, right? Stuff like client meetings, face-to-face. Even, I suppose, from a more practice ignition-minded sort of perspective, signing a contract, signing an engagement letter, you're no longer going to print it out and deliver it to them. You're no longer, like, there's no, people might not be in the office and might have access to a printer to print out an emailed PDF to sign. So there's definitely been a growth in that sort of acceptance of the digitization there. Yeah, and the accounting processes have changed as a result, haven't they? Massively. You've, you've, you've got to, right? Especially working from home where you can't, where you might not have access to a server with a desktop product. The cloud is really showing its huge advantages. I am interested to see how it changes post-COVID or as COVID kind of, not necessarily saying that there'll be a post-COVID, but as a, as we maybe it normalizes or it kind of dies down to a degree. I'm not going to name names. I was at a conference in, last year where there was a panel about sort of the future of working and working in a sort of post-COVID or living with COVID world. And the very first question the panelist, one of the audience asked was, I want my junior staff to get back into the office five days a week. How do I make that? And, but they don't want to do that. They want to work remotely and they're leaving because I'm trying to force them into the office every day. How do I get them back into the office every day? And I thought that was quite indicative of a, of a certain mindset and interesting to see what sort of impact, uh, not necessarily impact, but like what whether this maintains and whether this sustains this kind of working from home, working remotely, cloud uptake piece, or whether people do naturally kind of revert back. Because there's all there's massive benefits either way. And it's kind of finding that, I think, finding that kind of middle ground that works to enable us all to work most effectively and get the face time. There are so many arguments on each side of the remote working argument. And 
social health and mental well-being is on one side for sure and not having that commute but also the camaraderie of the office building culture there's a lot to consider isn't there yeah absolutely and i think it's going to be interesting to sort of see the different ways different companies approach it and what works and what doesn't i think i'm, I'm very happy with how pi is approaching it and i think we've gone for a sort of model where people can kind of select which is going to work for them with certain guidelines and boundaries personally i'm going to be working out of the office probably two three days a week which is which is great allows the facetime allows the kind of the meetings and the the conversations the camaraderie but means there'll be a couple of days where i can just be at home on my computer and just smash some work out for a day there's some talk about the vendor agenda to what degree software fintech vendors are pushing their products and platforms onto accountants that are perhaps not as descending as they could be in making good decisions but regardless of the technology one of the biggest challenges for professional firms is implementation of software how critical is that to what you're doing at Practignition? It's, 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 it's massive. If we look at sort of customer success, customer retention, all of that, the first, like the start of the journey is the most crucial part, right? It's when, when people are most engaged and I think the biggest roadblock to change, the biggest roadblock to successfully implementing change isn't like typically a project doesn't come to a screaming halt and just collapse at a certain moment. The projects that fail, they typically fail because they just kind of run out of steam and just peter out. And, you know, you forget a meeting, you forget two meetings, suddenly nothing's been done for a month or two. And it's like, well, I guess this project is now dead. That's typically how we see how projects and change management initiatives tend to, to die. And yeah, I think momentum and engagement early on is, is absolutely critical. So with implementation, execution, using the software, you need champions, you need someone pushing the agenda, keeping the momentum going, keeping it front of mind, and obviously making the business case for busy accountants to get on with it and do it. Yeah, I think there's a number of different sort of key facets to effectively manage change. I mean, this is a conversation I'm having with like with, with my team, particularly around the world, with you know, seasonality as it is the different markets kind of constantly. But I think one of the big things is that people are always waiting for the perfect time. There's always like, oh, if we don't do this now, it might be a better time in the future. There is, I, I mean, I've been through enough calendar years and financial years to see that there's never a perfect time. There's never going to be a moment where every the stars align. And if it is, it's probably like, great, I can take a week off and go play golf or go sit in the sun somewhere. It's not going to be great. Now I can implement this piece of software, right? So I think it's understanding there's never going to be a perfect time is a crucial part of it. But then there's so many different elements, right? One of the big things we see often is a decision maker will be like, boom, we're going to implement this. This is now the new thing. And then just being like, all right, team, go, this is happening. Let's do it. But I, and I think there really needs to be more. I, I, don't, I don't mean it could be critical to people, but I think a degree of leadership around like, hey, this is what we're doing. But then you need to give them the context. You can't just be like, this is happening. Take it and deal with it. It's this is happening. Here's why it's happening. Here's the problem we're looking to solve. Here's the, this is happening and here's the why, right? Yeah, here we've, here's why we've chosen this particular piece of software, for instance. Exactly. And and here's the benefits you're going to get out of it. Get them, the team needs to be bought in or it's going to crash and burn, right? And I think they need to be supported and empowered. You need to have someone, maybe it is a decision maker, maybe they get to delegate and some, you know, another member of the team gets an opportunity to kind of showcase a bit more of their, their talents, but they need to be supported and along the way. And I think they also need to be properly backed up, right? If you're going to delegate to somebody, you need to basically empower them to be like, go away and do this. If I need to be involved in decisions, let me know, but also like hold me accountable. And if there's parts where I need to be part of these conversations, bring me in. Because too often we have these conversations where someone's like, oh, I was asked to implement this. I don't really know why. I don't really know what it is. And every time I need to make a decision, I need to go away and chase my manager for a week before I can make a decision. And you're invariably like, well, this is just going to be a, a struggle for everybody. And you talk to a lot of accountants here, I'm sure you're getting messages of overwhelm, anxiety, overload. You must try and help them wherever possible to automate their admin and, and focus on what really matters. Talk to us about some of those conversations. Well, I mean, we're recording this very late January. So I think now is the peak time, right? For, for overload, a lot of, oh, and, and 
seasonality in this industry particularly is brutal with sort of with all the various tax seasons for much financial year ends. But it is. How can I get time back? How can I automate some of the median, median what's the word? The menial tasks. Forgot the word there. So you must help them with that and have conversations around productivity. Hugely. And I mean, not a, like admin tasks tend to be great for automation, I think, because of kind of two big facets. One is typically admin, like any sort of admin task is something that's repeatable and it's typically going to be the same every time, right? It's going to be complete this form, create this client in this software, change this setting, add, like send an invoice, whatever it may be. So it's going to be fairly uniform and repeatable, which is always something that you can easily automate. And the other big thing is no one actually likes doing admin typically. Or it's not so it's not someone's gonna be like, oh great, I get to spend all day, you know, looking envelopes and typing out address writing addresses on them or something. So it tends to be something that people aren't worried about, sad to automate. It's something that people are like, yes, I don't have to do this anymore. This can be taken care of automatically. And it's something that e- and typically can easily be via some sort of automated process. And there's so many, like a lot of the different tools in the industry, practitioner being obviously one of them, but I'm not really here to sort of plug that too much, are there to automate different elements of this. And then there's other tools that can do heaps more. Rob, you may be aware of some of the to be aware of a tool called Zapier. Zapier is essentially like an admin automation tool that kind of automates all of the admin but sits between different products. So the super basic example might be when you get a new client to sign up and they sign up, you can use Zapier to, to trigger an email that goes out automatically to them with sort of like a welcome pack with any documentation you might want, any forms you need them to complete to get their information. And it's just, you know, that it might be a one, two, three minute email for a member of staff to send out, but it means that staff member has to be told to send it out, remember to send it out, take the time to send it out and just be like, oh, I guess I have to send that email now. And yeah, if it's it's a two, three minute task, it probably even becomes more than that with the difference of people being like, hey, I've just signed this client. Can you send this email? That person has to do it. Think about it, find the template, send it. But if you're doing that, let's generously say two minutes for one client and you've got hundred clients, that's 200 minutes saved. Like that's over three hours for, you know, that you can just have back. And when you save accountants time with your practitioner software, what does they, what do they spend that time on, Hugh? What really matters? I, I would like to think given how overworked so many of the the firms that I work with are, I'd like to think at least some of them are using that time to maybe see the kids or have a beer or a glass of wine. Recharge the batteries, huh? Yeah, exactly. My suspicion is it's probably more along the lines of focusing on client work. It, if you're not going to do it for yourself, I would always encourage you to be trying to do more sort of as business growth, right? And and using that time, getting that time back to either find more ways to save even more time to automate even more or to be finding more ways to, to grow the business and, and make your business really successful. One of the problems that accountants always struggle with is pricing positioning, which leads to scope creep and getting paid on time every time. Any thoughts or tips on that, Hugh? Yeah, I mean... A lot of that, I think, is engagement letter focus. The scope has to be so clearly defined in your engagement letter that you could always, you want to have something you can always refer back to, right? And just be like, you asked, uh, we agreed you were going to pay us this much to do X, Y, and Z. You're now asking me to do W. It's clearly defined that we aren't going to do that. So I'm not going to do that. Or I can do that for an additional fee and build, and, you know, we can then send you an upgrade dated proposal, updated letter of engagement to get that done. One of the pitfalls, I'm not sure when this has started, but one of the people I definitely run into is working with firms and they come to us and be like, oh, our letter of engagement will say instead, oh, we these are the things we're not going to, then we'll define we won't do A, B, C for you. And and I think this is very much like a personality type thing, but I've worked with a couple of different firms, quite often sole traders who are kind of getting their feet and kind of learning and becoming more confident in their abilities and in, in what they do and don't offer. I just didn't remember helping one, particularly back in Australia. And and she had a custom, uh, one of her clients who had her buying things for them on eBay and answering emails for them because in her letter of engagement, she had a list of all the things she wouldn't do and she 
had specifically say, dude, I will not do your eBay shopping for you. And I will not reply to your emails. And they're like, well, can you do this for me? And she had looked back and I'd be like, I guess I can. I guess I am going to do that for them then. So I think being very clear and essentially saying in your, in your terms, the only pieces of work I'm going to do for you are these ones explicitly stated. And then, you know, having that to refer back to and, and keeping that sort of front of mind. So then when those conversations come up and the scope creep comes up, you can refer back to it and have that conversation about, well, we didn't agree to that, but we can definitely do it for, you know, an, an additional X amount of money. And then I think the other kind of key piece with that, scope creep doesn't off, always happen as a suddenly the client will be like, hey, can you also do this? It's just these kind of like, you find yourself over a year, over two, three years, gradually doing more and more for them because it's kind of comes naturally to you to do as well. And that's, I think, the other, the other side of things. And that's really just about like getting into a habit of probably every year, maybe every two years, reevaluating, reviewing all of your engagement letters, reviewing all of your client, client relationships. And what did we initially say we were going to do for them? And for how much? And are we still doing that? What else are we now currently doing for them? Do we need to update this beyond just the, the standard price increases every year or two that should happen as well? Yeah, this is excellent, Hugh. And let's ask briefly about practice ignition. If accounting practitioners listening, and that's the majority of our audience, all over the world with our 20,000 listeners. If they're not sure what practice ignition is, how would you put it in a nutshell what you guys do? I would say practice ignition is a client engagement and commerce platform primarily focused on the sort of accounting bookkeeping space. It's really around helping them win more clients, provide a better upfront client experience, clear engagement letters, very defined services, templates to help them save a lot of time and automate a lot of the admin around creating that. And off the back of that, automating all of the payables piece. So the invoice creation, the payment collection, basically taking away all of the kind of the account receivable debt a day sort of piece. And how are, you, how are you better and different from any of your competitors out there that are in this space? I, I'm not sure I really like sort of talking about a sort of a feature conversation with competitors because I don't want to negatively talk about anybody else or talk down about anyone else. I don't think there's anybody out there that does everything that Practitioner does. We do the full engagement letter piece. A lot of the sort of workflow deployment piece and also the payment collection all in one platform. And the benefit of that is? I mean, it's, it's all tied together. It means you don't have to update two systems. It means you don't have to pay for two systems. We have, I think 87% of our customers have been able to cancel other subscriptions as a result and cut down the number of different subscriptions they have and different tools they're using. But beyond that, if we come back to that scope creep piece, let's say you've engaged for a client for an engagement letter. And then, you know, a year later, two years later, you need to review. At that time, you then need to remember if you have separate systems for the different, for the bill, the engagement letter, for the management of the client, if those are all completely disparate, you have to remember to update all of those every time you're going through and updating the engagement letter rather than having that automatically done. And again, huge amount of time and effort and admin just saved automatically. Plus obviously the, the human error can slip through and you might have a client sign a new engagement letter and forget, you know, an admin person kind of forgets to add them and update their payment details and update the amount they're getting paid. We're collecting payments from them. People listening can go to the Practice Ignition website, take a look. If they want to have a conversation with you, Hugh, what's a good way for them to reach out to you? Me personally, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. LinkedIn, Hugh Walker. Twitter, I think it's Hugh underscore S underscore Walker because there's apparently a lot of Hugh Walkers out there. But I mean, any if you reach out through any of the sort of the practice ignition website, channels, social medias, we, you know, I'm, I'm always very happy to have conversations with customers. I do what I do genuinely because I love helping our customers and, and love having those kind of conversations with them. So very, very open to, to any of those conversations if you want to reach out. And uh, practice ignition have made this offer available to our listeners using the code AIR21 to receive a 25% off all plans for your first six months. You just need to go to info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for the Accounting Influencers Podcast. That's info 
www.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP. So that's a lovely offer. And we'll ask you one last question just to finish, Hugh. Talk to us about the importance of first impressions. We know that accounting clients are switching firms, promises haven't been fulfilled, the customer experience hasn't been right, their accountants have not been proactive enough, or maybe haven't got the expertise to deal with the complex COVID world that we're in right now. So first impressions count. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest thing is there's a, like the industry is definitely getting more and more digital, more and more tech focused. And a lot of the sort of the clients and the other spaces out there are doing exactly the same, right? And looking to work with firms who give that impression and speak the language of technology, right? Our first impression, Rob, is basically having this kind of conversation, right? But when it's with a with a client, the first impression they're going to get of you and the first impression they're going to get of your business are typically two different things. Because of the first impression of your business and how you work is going to be more around how you like how you, almost the engagement process itself. And I think there's a huge difference in, hey, here's a PDF I need you to run through, print out, sign, scan it and pay, send it back to me versus, and then we're going to send you an invoice versus, hey, here's a digital platform you can go into, review everything in the one place, digitally sign, put in your credit card or your bank details to automate the payments. And it's giving that client, that prospective client, it's giving them the right signals that you are using tech and you understand tech and you're talking their language. And not only that, it's, if they're like a typical small business looking for an accountant is not going to just be like, hey, I'm going to talk to this one accountant, get a quote and see if I like it. They're going to talk to, you know, four, five, six different and compare. And if there's four or five out there that that are sending over these PDF engagements, old slideshow proposals, and then you're sending this beautiful digital platform, it's got payments built in, which is something that they, these clients are already used to in everything they're doing in their day-to-days. It just really sets up an entirely separate first impression and differentiates you from the crowd, right? And that's how you grow your business. That's how you get successful is you, you are a step ahead and you're using tech in the right way to give you those advantages. There it is. You heard it there, you accounting practitioners. Hugh Walker, that's been terrific. Thanks so much for your time and your insights today. Absolute pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Biffick. Martin, the Countex just gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? It does, it does. And it's the biggest, I'd say biggest show in Europe, and I'm thinking maybe the biggest show in the world. What we know for sure is the one-stop shop for digital and in-person events. With the following it's built over the years, Accountex packed a punch that's with events that are dedicated to both the accounting and finance professionals. Yeah, and it's all CPD accredited as well. They've got a virtual summit coming up 10th, 11th of November, which is free to attend. And they've got some interesting topics coming up there, haven't they? Digital assets, social mobility, future of cloud accounting, commercializing opportunities for MTD, penalty reform, not your normal lineup. Yeah, and it's all ramping up to the big event they've got going on in London at the Excel Arena. It's the largest in Europe. And if you want your CPD points, if you want to find out what's happening, don't forget to book that in your diary for the 11th and 12th of May. And there's a website they can go to, Martin. Yeah, accountex.co.uk or indeed follow them on Twitter at at accountex. That's at accountex.